2: Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. at and Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea.
3: Hey, welcome in, Doug Godley, Ben. This is all ball, all basketball, all the time. We got two great guests for you, uh, upcoming. David Nurse is, uh, he's actually the nephew of Nick Nurse, but he's also a, a mental coach, mental a confidence coach, if you will, for the NBA. I think he does a great job. I think he's brilliant. Plus, we're going to talk about the brilliance of Kawhi Leonard, who, by my estimation, best player in the NBA. And uh, my brother, Greg, 25 years, an assistant in college basketball, recruited him. He he left San Diego State, went to Cal, tried to get him at Cal. They didn't offer him a scholarship. He goes to San Diego State. We'll talk about the beginnings of uh, of Kawhi Leonard's ascension to this remarkable, remarkable career. Let me give you a couple of quick thoughts on what we've seen so far. Um, I, I still contend... That James Harden, I don't know if it's conditioning or if he just naturally doesn't have the wind. But have you guys seen the stat where he shoots 23% from three in, in fourth quarters and overtimes of playoffs the last five years? And, and if you look, he did have the big block shot against Lou Dort. But that was after struggling by his own accounts, struggling massively on offense. So, you have to start to ask yourself, is is it because in the postseason he plays defense in the regular season he doesn't? Is it because of how difficult it is to score in the postseason? Or is he just not taking care of himself? Whatever it is, the conditioning's a factor. Then you go to Russell Lesbrook, who played really well in Game 7. Competed, scored, kind of kept the Rockets in the game up until late, but then missed three straight layups. And it's not like they were dead layups, wide open layups, but they're contested finishes that an MVP should make. Um... I'm. I was impressed that Oklahoma City was even in that game, even in that series, considering their lack of shooting, considering their youth. Obviously, disappointed that Stephen Adams doesn't even look at the basket when he'd be open for a little slip, the entire second half, and he never seemingly did. I would have had Chris Paul take the ball inbound just because he's the best passer, and I. I feel like Shea, Gilgis Alexander. As much as I love him, uh, I have some concerns about long term his ability to be a superstar. Right, like a superstar lead guard. In transition, two-on-ones, three-on-ones, three-on-twos. That should be a layup or wide-open shot every time. It's not. He just, he's an average passer. And when you're an average passer that's eventually going to be a dominant ball handling guy, that does that does limit you. It does limit you. Let me get to Steve Nash. It's a surprise that he's the head coach. I'm not going to sit here and deny that. Like I didn't know Steve Nash wanted to be a head coach. I didn't know that Brooklyn was considering him. But the idea that he got the job... Because of white privilege, that's what Stephen A. Smith said, is the most laughably obtuse comment I've heard in a long time. And I've heard a lot of laughably obtuse comments. I'm not saying that black coaches shouldn't get a chance, and many of them have, have succeeded. And, um, but, but I'll tell you this. Where were the calls um, about guys getting jobs they, quote unquote, didn't deserve when... Former black players, Doc Rivers got the Orlando Magic job. Um, you go to Derek Fisher, Mark Jackson, Isaiah Thomas. Did Jason Kidd got the Nets job. Nobody was like, hey, he's never coached the job and he got he got the job over a white guy. Like, no, he was replacing wasn't he replacing P.J. Carlos More. PJ Carlos actually replaced him and did a damn good job, by the way. I just we we can't do we we do this thing where we always default to race having to play a part. Race doesn't play a part here. I mean, we all know what's at play. He's got a relationship with Sean Marks. He's a superstar player. He's coached Kevin Kevin Durant before. He's really well-respected. By the way, he's actually African by birth and Canadian in terms of nationality. He's been around the game. And if there's... Can you find a guy who Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving respect? Respect. Outside of somebody who has a championship ring... You're not going to bring Phil Jackson there, and Greg Popovich probably turned down the job. I don't think he wants to coach those dudes at this point. There isn't anybody that you respect more than a two time MVP like Steve Nash. The Steve Nash thing is this you hire people to do what you don't know how to do. For example, Jock Vaughn, who's been a head coach. And I, like, there's no malice towards Jock Vaughn for me. I love Jock Vaughn. He was awesome in high school. And we beat them his senior years. Last game was against Tustin High School. He played for John Muir High School. Same high school, by the way, that produced St- Stacy Augman. Pretty awesome, right? Pasadena. So, um, and I remember I went to superstar camp when I was going to be a freshman and I saw him play in like the all-star game. And I was like, that's the best point guard I've ever seen in person. I was like a Bobby Hurley guy going I'm like, Jack Vaughn's the best point guard I've ever seen in person. He's a big reason. I wanted to go to Kansas because he was at Kansas, because he was a California guy, past first point guard, whatever. But you keep him on staff because he's been a head coach. He knows the guys. He knows the culture. Like he's a tip of the cap to what they've been doing, but but if Jock Vaughn really had the respect and attention of his stars, superstars, Kyrie and KD would have been on the plane and been in Orlando supporting the team. They would have. DeAndre Jordan wouldn't have opted out. I know they won without those guys, but just them not showing up tells you all you need to know. Because you're not, you can win five out of eight games in the bubble. You're not winning an NBA championship unless you get those guys to give you everything they have and to lead. I just don't under, I I truthfully and honestly don't understand any backlash because Steve Nash is white other than the time in which we're overreacting and use, we we can't do this. We can't make every story about race. Look, we don't, of these, uh, of the police brutality incidents, first, we don't know if it's, it the incident in in Kenosha i don't i don't understand it feels like it feels like excessive force bordering on police brutality it does despite the fact that guy um was the guy who the his ex-girlfriend called on he had an outstanding warrant like that feels that's at minimum excessive force feels like police brutality but i i don't know I don't know if it rises to the level of murder like that's going to be for a district attorney and for a judge and jury of of his peers to figure out. But we have no idea whether or not that had anything to do with race. Do you? Of course you don't. But what we do is with those stories, we automatically say it has to be racial injustice. It has to be. Okay, I would commit to you that in basketball. I mean, you think Sean Marks really sees race? Sean Marks has played in the NBA, been a general manager in the NBA, been in the front office of San Antonio Spurs. Like, do you that's not how people in sports, especially in the NBA, think. I've never been in a place in basketball where it's ever been, hey, we got to take a white guy ahead of a black guy. Like that just that doesn't occur anymore. And if you're bothered because Steve Nash doesn't have head coaching experience, that's fine. You're allowed to be. But were you bothered when Mark Jackson got a job or Jason Kidd got the next job? Will you bother when Derek Fisher got the Knicks job? Will you bother when Steve Kerr got the Warriors job? Will you bother when these guys? There is a parallel. Look, if you want to feel bad for Jock Vaughn, you can. You can. Jock Vaughn's a grinder as a player, just stayed in the league as the 12th man. He's been a grinder as a coach. He's been a head coach before in Orlando. He does have experience. He did do a good job. He did. But when he was a player, when the Spurs got Tony Parker, He never got a chance to compete with Tony Parker for the starting job. He just didn't. You know, when you're a broadcaster, you can be the best in the world. When a superstar NBA or college player retires, a college coach retires, a lot of times you get leapfrogged or you get, you're sitting at the same desk. Like I've been doing this for 15 years. That's the way it works with stars. That's just the way it works with stars. And it has nothing to do with race. All right, let's welcome in our first guest of the day. Of course, his uncle is Nick Nurse. He's a mental coach for several, I mean, a, a good amount of, a gaggle of players in the NBA. He's David Nurse.
0: This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen.
4: We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh my, look at that, he is! Be sure to catch the live edition of the Doug Gottlieb show weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app.
3: Let's welcome in David Nurse and uh, David, how would you how would you describe what you do for NBA players?
4: Well, i describe it as being a life optimization coach, and what that means is basically more in depth than just the on-court skill set because Basically, a player can be on court for about two hours a day maximum. But what are you going to do with the 22 other hours? How are you going to optimize that time to be able to step on the floor at your, at your peak, at your 100%? So it's NBA optimization coach, and it goes deep into nutrition development, sleep uh, enhancement, uh, overall recovery. And the biggest piece, 90% of it all, is the mindset development.
3: Um, okay. So, uh, uh, let let me ask about last night. Obviously, um, uh, Nick is, Nick is your nephew. Is that right? Yeah,
4: I'm his nephew. He's my uncle.
3: Yep. Oh, he's, he's your uncle. Okay. So he's your uncle. You're his nephew. And sorry, I had to, I don't know why I said, (laughs)
4: I'm not, I'm not
3: that old. I I know. So, 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 so Nick is your, Nick is your uncle. Okay. Um, how would you like, like, let's say Jason Tatum, young player, Okay, kind of got lost on that last play. They they're up two games to none. I'm sure in your mind you're like kind of working in the you're working in the mindset of hey we're about to be up three games to none. Now all of a sudden you know OG Ananobi hits a hits a game winning three. What's the conversation like to work work through with with somebody like Jason Tatum, supremely confident young guy, but now there, there could be a crisis in confidence when you lose a game like that.
4: Yeah, absolutely, and that's a, that's a real thing. I mean, they were looking at this series being over, and it's it's a challenging thing to do. But with with that situation, I would talk to him about being okay. Let's look at the big picture. It's two to one. You guys basically stole one from Toronto early. They stole one from you here. That's even. You're still up two to one. You have two games to go. You've been playing at the highest level of anybody in the playoffs, and I'd really just I mean, I just really highlight how well he's done against the Raptors and how well he can continue to do against them in those situations. And, and basically just, I mean, show him different, different situations in the past where this happened and teams folded, and then different situations in the past where this happened and teams rallied around this. Because it's, it's going to go one or the other way. Like, Boston's either going to feel bad for themselves and feel like this series should be over, or they're really going to come together and, and step, put the put the foot on the gas pedal.
3: Uh, okay, so what what is the most common issue you work through with guys? If there is a common issue,
4: yeah, absolutely, confidence, no doubt, confidence, and in, in developing what I call the unshakable confidence. And I have a, a seven step process that I go through with players, but I mean, basically. Oh, even even the highest level players will struggle with confidence at some time and it, it's how you get them out of their own mind. how you really get players understanding that hey, at their at their best, at their peak, they can be that type of player every single night. And I do a lot of a lot of visualization, visualizing the game before it happens. The players that I work with will sit down, they'll see the game, how it happens, how they want it to unfold, and then they'll watch it through again, seeing hey, now the game, something crazy went on because there's always going to be something wild that happens during the game. So they're seeing it two times before they step on the floor, giving them a lot of power and knowing where they're going to get to their spot. And Kobe and MJ were, were really big on doing this. And I'll have each player, they will, they'll watch their, their highlight reel, what they call their personal swag reel, before they, when they wake up in the morning, before they step on the floor for practice. And before they step on the floor for the game, basically putting themselves in their mindset of they this is when they are at their best. It'll be a two to three minute clip of all their the, their best highlights put together, and it's and it works the same way as muscle memory development does on a shot or anything, as it, it builds in that subconscious and builds the myelin that in the brain that this is who they are, this is who they can be at their best. And, and one of the biggest things that I've done, Doug, is is really helping players focus on just detaching themselves from the result because that's where it really drives confidence when you don't see shots going in or you get in what's called a shooting slump which I'm big on redefining vocabulary like words don't have to mean what we've grown up thinking they mean but detaching from the results and focusing on the process solely on the process one of my Players I'm working with is is Norm Powell, of the Raptors, and he's done an unbelievable job of just embracing this and focusing on getting to his best shots, getting to the rim and transition downhill, and getting catch and shoot threes. And he went on a span of like 15 games in a row where those are the only shots he took. And it's he's it, it, just really taking himself out of like worrying about made or missed shots, knowing hey, if I get to these spots, they're going to go in over time. It's all about getting to these spots.
3: No, no question. Um, I, I yeah, like let's take um, Lou Dort the other night, right? Yeah. So they're not guarding him. They're daring him to shoot. They're playing the numbers, and obviously his teammates Chris Paul helped you just encourage him. Hey, just let it fly, dude. Let, like let's go. Uh, which yeah. is you know as a guy who. I mean, I, I struggle with my confidence. I mean, that really kind of derailed yeah. my entire career was, yeah. you know, cause people go like, you couldn't shoot. Like, no, no, I could shoot. I wouldn't have been recruited at the level I was recruited if I could not <laughs> shoot. It's just, I would get to the point where I didn't think I could shoot. And then I would, you know, I'd work, 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 work all summer. Then you come back and you get in the, you get into practice and now you're tired. Maybe you work a little bit less. And then you, you, you do what you do best and you stop shooting as much in, in, and now you miss some shots and then all of a sudden your confidence goes, so you're like, all right, I just won't shoot. And then they stop guarding you. Now it becomes hard to play you. Like it becomes this kind of vicious cycle. Let, let's go with Lou Dort. Um, I I love the idea. Like everyone said, well, just shoot. Yeah. But there are times in which you're not a good shooter. You shouldn't just shoot when you're open because that'll cause you to, how do you handle when you're yeah. left wide open?
4: Yeah. And that's a great point. I mean, he's got a, a really good encourager in, in, Chris Paul telling him to shoot, and that's, that's huge as we know as, as shooters that you need that, that confidence from everyone else around you. But if, if you're not shooting it well in your left open, I mean, attacking the rim is going to just get your juices flowing, get you, get you more in the game than just depending on the three alone. And basically to get yourself out of, that, uh, out of that state of it's about me, it's determined on my shots, they're leaving me wide open, I have to make these shots. They, you pour your emphasis on everything else, on how you can pour into your teammates, how you're defending, how are you moving off-ball, are you getting off-ball movement assists, are you getting screen assists, like just really just, just taking your mindset away from the importance of that shot and putting it on other aspects and areas of the game. But but yeah, I mean, it, it's a tough and it's a real thing when, when you when you're left open, especially when you're a young player. And that's really where... Because you know, it, it it comes down to just just really focusing on. Hey, this is the confidence through preparation. I've done this eight zillion times before. It's just a game. It's just a shot. I've done it. I can make it. And 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 trusting in that. Sometimes it's. I mean, it's it, it's tough. And I'll have players. One big thing that I do is have a, a what I call cue word with them. So it's a word they'll say that'll trigger their subconscious to get them back in like a just a normal even keel state like if they're missing shots one of my players words is unshakable just say unshakable to himself over and over again and it's a it's a it's a mindset trick to get yourself back and feel okay things are okay blood pressure's rising but but I'm gonna be okay
3: Hmm. I like that unshakable now you do you you come up with the word you let them come up with the word How, how do you do it
4: I let them come up with the word they'll they'll all come up with their own type of word so I'll have each player they'll have like a card that they'll go through it'll be they'll have I'm big on confidence through comparison too and I know that sounds kind of contradictory but but like like Kobe did to MJ find some player that you know you can be like you can you can learn from them you can steal from them and have that confidence through comparison so if we're going with the norm example his is D-Wade so he's always thinking the D-Wade mindset and so on his cue card of going through before the game he's he's going to think of put himself in that frame okay D-Wade did this I can do this and I have I have players look at their hands because their hands have been through everything. It's all the, the, the grit, the work that they've put in. And then they see that player that they're comparing themselves to. They see their hands as, as their own hands, and they become one. So that's one thing that I do with them. And then it's, it's the visualization that we talked about, seeing the game in two different ways. It's the, the swag highlight reel that they're going through. It's having that Q word in their mind. It's knowing where their shots come from. And it just, just having that blueprint, Doug, just gives them a lot, a lot of confidence. Like, you know how it is just going into a game and going in and just, and just playing. But now, but now you feel like you have the upper hand, whether you do or not, at least you have that kind of, maybe even, maybe call it placebo, but that, but that kind of effect of, okay, I have a game plan here. I'm one step ahead of the competition already.
3: Hmm. Um, that's, that's absolutely positively fascinating. Fascinating. You know, I, I, I tell people all the time that, and, and you tell me like, look, your uncle, obviously he actually, I don't know if you know this. He coached me in the USBL. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. No. Oklahoma, yeah. I right? know. Oklahoma, right? Yeah. City? He had just, yeah. he was coaching in England and yep. he was, and, uh, Kareem was our head coach and he came yep. back. I don't think, he, I think he joined us after the season started. And, um, uh, anyway, like my, I obviously immediately liked him and we've, we've remained friends. But it, it's it's fascinating to me. There's three parts of, of basketball which I don't think we in the media do a good enough job discussing. That it's a major factor, major factor in teams' success or teams' failure, players' success or players' failure. Um, one is culture. Like we kind of describe culture sometimes, and we we use it as a, like a a tag yeah. word. Well, they got great culture, but yeah. but but we don't. That we don't really, I don't. We don't really portray an understanding of what that actually looks like, what that actually means. Conditioning, I think, is a massive, massive factor. You know, there are times which guys are just too tired to make to make shots. Their body will not cooperate. And you know, like, look, my old head coach Eddie Sutton, he used to say, like, you can be tired, but you can't play tired, right? Which is a great way. But again, that's kind of resetting the mental. And the last part is the part that you focus on a ton, which is confidence. And and I just don't it's really interesting like I would make the case to you and you tell me if I'm wrong. LeBron's curious because and I'm, he may have overcome it now, but there were times in his career they play the Spurs in the finals and they would dare him to take that mid-range pull up. And he would have a little bit of a crisis in confidence. He'd miss a couple. He'd, he, you know, he get a little, he, now sometimes even, he he'll get a little, he, he does, he has that now kind of, yeah. you talked about Norman Powell getting to his shot. You know, he has that really weird step back where he dribbles with his right hand and steps back with his then left, right. That's like his go-to where he yeah. kind of, maybe that helps him reset himself mentally. But I, I, I for, for LeBron James to be one of the all-time greats, to me, he's maybe one of the few guys at that level, who had time struggles with his confidence and his jump shot?
4: Man, I absolutely, I absolutely agree with you. And, and one of his big things was he he was worried about what everybody else was saying about him. And when you let when you let thoughts creep into what what your legacy is or what what the media is going to say, like it, it it definitely affects players. He's gotten a lot better at it, but yeah, I totally totally agree with you.
3: Okay, so let, let, let's. Let I, I love the, the process you go through with Norm and so so take me through a little bit of like let's say I okay, I have an eleven year old son. Yep. Eleven year old son. And um let's say he's struggling with you know, like last weekend we went and played. He played up, he was a little bit sped up, and you know, when they're that that young and they start shooting way too far out, they start shooting air balls, and now they think they suck. I suck. What how do you approach it?
4: Yeah, so, I mean, that's, that's when i come back to the drawing board and we'd go back in the gym and we'd start in close and really look at. I'd, I'd, I'd ask him a lot of self-assessment questions. So I think it's really powerful when, when players can express what they're feeling and asking them instead of just telling them what to do, figuring out what's going through their mind. That way, that way it also puts the I mean more of the precedence on themselves, too, the ownership on themselves. But I would ask him, hey, why did you – I mean, why did you – why do you feel like you missed those shots? What was going on? Like, what do you think was the issue? Not in a negative way, but uh, just, just asking him and reflecting on it. And he'd probably be like, well, I'm not, I'm not ready for that. I just couldn't make them. I wasn't, it wasn't a good game. I had a slump. And, like, a lot of times when players will say slumps, because every, everybody grows up thinking that, like, failure is a negative thing or slumps are a negative thing. So I'll ask the player, no matter what age, every time that I start working with them, hey, when was the last time you were in a shooting slump? And they'll tell you, and you'll see their body language just kind of falling like, you know, a couple games ago or for your son saying he's the airballing shots. You're like, yeah, I just just couldn't make it. It was horrible. And you see their body language just crumbling in. And then I'll ask them, hey, when was the last time you were in a shooting hippopotamus? And they'll look at me like, what what are you talking about? But I, I, I use this crazy type of word just to show that A slump is just a word that we've grown up in society to feel like it means something negative to give our give our subconscious that negative feeling when in reality we can pivot that type of word doesn't have to mean that. So I would talk to him about that. And then i go through a lot of where he was the most confident. I'd, I'd have him really like tell me the exact game details. Like the fans, the smells that he had, the, his teammates of when he had his best game he's ever had, and having continually to recreate that, and then I just go, I, I go back in the practice on, on the court and just give him one thing to work on. Really big on just 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 focusing on one thing, like maybe his like that's where maybe his answer was, hey, my uh, my guide hand was really pushing the ball and that's what we'd work on. We'd focus on that. So we give him a lot of confidence through the preparation of specific focus development that he needed. And it's funny you use that example too, because uh, Domas Sabonis is a player that I've been working with and we're developing his three point shot and he shoots a flat ball. So whenever he's shooting a flat ball, like we'll, we'll go back, we'll talk about it. Like, Hey, this is the one thing you need to do is get your elbow to your eyebrow, get get the arc up and it's going to go in. So he gets the he gets a lot of confidence knowing that it's only one adjustment away from being a great shooter.
3: Hmm. That's that's amazing. Yeah, I I it, it's fascinating. You know, I um, I'm friends with uh, Matt holiday. Matt was a seven time All Star. Yeah. Um, four times Silver Slugger, and I um, mean, you know, if if you take steroid guys out of baseball, he was not obviously not a steroid guy. You take steroid guys out of <laughs> yeah. baseball, his numbers are that of Hall of Fame caliber numbers. Yeah. And he told me, like, a long time ago, he's like, look, the, the biggest thing that I learned from Scott Boris's agent was, like, process over result. And it's become his whole thing. And in baseball, it's about, you know, it, how's your timing mechanism? Are you seeing the baseball? Are you working to hitters counts, you know? And because you can't control, you know, you can't control where the baseball goes. You know, they're, they're just they're good luck and bad luck. But you have to be, you fail so much in baseball, you have to go process over result and well you try that with kids right like look right it's I don't care if you miss a shot. Was it a good shot? Was there a better, was there a great shot that was available? Did we have to take that shot? Did we run offense? Did we, is it what we want, right? Like, did you do all of these things that you're supposed to do? And then if the ball goes in, the ball doesn't go in. And by the way, did you work on yours? Did you work on your shooting? Did you take however many shots per day, every day? So that when you got that opportunity, you made it. If you did all of that, your process is right. The results will in fact follow.
4: Man, I, I, I love that. And it, it's so true and so real. And it's, it's also difficult, though, for people to think, like, okay, process over results. Like, it sounds great. It's kind of like a word. That saying is kind of like a word like culture. Like, every NBA team throws around, we want to have great culture. But, yeah, show me what that means. Give me some tools. Give me some actual hows. Like, the why, the the purpose, the Simon Sinek, he talks about that a lot. Like, that's great. But I need some tools and actionable ways to be able to implement this. And, and through focusing on the process over the results, like you're saying, like w- what I do is we we never, with my players, I, I never look at shooting percentage. We never look at points per game. We only look at the their rate of where they got to their best shots. If they got to their highest level shots, that's a win. And that's what they're tracking. And over time, that's when shots continue to go in and in more and more and more. But, but not focusing on the end result, but literally having, having tracking systems, tracking mechanisms. And it's really important, I mean, for, for anybody in life. Like, uh, let's say you're trying to, to get in better shape. Like, you have to track your weight. You have to track things and see this progress happening. So even for kids, it's really important that they can see these results and understand that, hey, what are you saying is actually working because I am improving in this process.
3: Um, okay. Uh, uh, last thing, um, just in terms of your, in terms of your basketball thoughts, um, your uncle's team down two games to one and you know, like, like you put out, it's really hard to know what the mentality of the Celtics, uh, is going into game four. What do you think about the series?
4: I think, man, I mean, obviously I'm a little bit biased with Nick, but I think he's, he's such a great coach that he's, he just figures these type of situations out. I mean, the same thing happened last year with Milwaukee, and now he's really going to ride this momentum of, guys, we got new life. This is our new chance, and they're going to be really, really energized. So I honestly think the Raptors are going to win. I think they're going to win in seven, and, and I, it's... yeah. I, I mean, I'm good friends with Brad too, and I know Brad's a great coach. And he's going to come with a great game plan as well. So it's it's literally going to be like the ultimate chess game, And uh, but yeah, I'm going. I'm going Raptors and
3: seven. You know, it's interesting. Um, I think, I thought one thing, uh, two things happened on that last play um, that defy conventional wisdom. And I am a big defying conventional wisdom guy, right? How many, how many times have you heard you can't have a point guard take the ball inbounds as a big guy in the ball, right? Yep. Now you can't. Now look, part of the bubble, which I, um, and this is Kyle Lowry's basketball intelligence, is. There's no fans behind you, so you can back up as much as you want, right? So you have you have more space than you do in an NBA arena, um, but but I, I you know that pass would not have been on time on target if anyone I believe other than why would you have somebody who passing isn't what they do best take the ball right. in bounds? Additionally, it it goes that kind of defies the whole logic of having a big guy on the ball. Um, yeah, I think those two things. You don't always have to have a big guy in the ball like especially 0.5 seconds to go. 0.5 seconds to go, you can play 5 on 4 on defense. Yeah. Instead, make that fifth yeah. guy a super active guy. But what happens is coaches have a tendency to do what everybody else does because that's what everybody else does and challenging that yeah. and congratulations to Nick for like fuck that. Let's let's put let's put Kyle. Let's have Kyle take it in. Um, you know, like, look, I don't know if Steven Adams would have gotten, taken a layup or read the play, but I do think that if Chris Paul would have taken the ball in bounds the night before, instead of uh-huh. Shea Alexander, who is a point guard, but not really a very good passer. Um, uh-huh. you know, his, his limit, he was running the play. That was what he was doing. He was, he was like that, that young kid in high school. It's like, comes in like, what's the play coach? <laughs> we're running the play. That's what we're doing.
4: Yeah. Hey, you know, you know what? I got a lot of points on that too, and and you're super right. Like, absolutely, have your best passer taking it out. It's like having a quarterback. Like, why would you put your running back in there to take to take the ball out of bounds? But to your point on Nick, like that's why he's so good. He doesn't do what everybody else does. Like, he played a triangle and two in the in the finals last year. Everybody's like, oh, that's crazy. Yeah, it won. Like he's going to. He studies with Bill uh, the, the Belichick. Like all these different like. One of his big things was taking the best player out of the game. That's why you've seen the Lakers really struggle against the Raptors because they're so LeBron-based. But he just absolutely doesn't matter what. He'll triple-team the guy to take him out of the game because that is the head of the snake. So he doesn't care what conventional wisdom says. And it's funny, too, because I see that and I get so excited because it's OG hitting that. And he's one of my guys I've worked a lot with. And the amount of reps that he's put in shooting quick catch-and-shoot corner threes, like we've shot thousands and thousands and thousands of them. I mean, maybe not at that kind of like just get it up there like a hot potato, but it's, it's, it's all that preparation, that unseen work that he has put in. The dude puts in a ton of work to be able to get to that opportunity to have a chance to hit the game winner.
3: That's a great point. Hey, listen, man, uh, obviously you do great work. We really appreciate Thanks, you sir. coming on. And uh, you, like me, we love hoop and love hoopers. Yep. And love that you're helping Hoopers hoop. So thanks for joining me.
4: Absolutely, man. Hey, let's get your 11-year-old in the gym. Let's get his confidence back.
3: Let's do it. Let's do it. I'll tell you where we play when we work out, and you, you come work with him.
4: I'm
0: on. I'm on.
3: Thanks for joining thanks,
0: me. Doug. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table.
3: Hey, where are you?
4: Be sure to catch the live edition of the Doug Gottlieb Show weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific.
3: All right, let's welcome in uh, my brother, Greg Gottlieb, longtime 25-year college basketball assistant, and um, the one that got away, right? That's like what what coaches have a tendency to sit around and talk about. And I was was watching Kawhi last night, and uh, I don't know if you saw this, on mid-range jump shots in the playoffs, granted in the bubble, he's shooting 80% from the floor. Like it's he's he's so good. He plays both ends. He's become a very good ball handler passer. And I wanted to bring you on because you did recruit him. You were a fan. You actually, I remember you texting me saying like, "How could Kawhi Leonard not be McDonald's All American when he's the Gatorade, uh, the California Gatorade State Player of the Year?" First time you saw Kawhi, do you remember when it was?
0: Yep, I do. Uh, He was a junior. Uh, and he was. They were playing in the sports arena, uh, in I believe the CIF uh, semifinals or finals, uh, and they were playing against Dominguez High School, which at that time Dominguez was a powerhouse, and, and uh, Jordan Hamilton was really the the premier player uh, wow, coming Hamilton. up, and, and so I was recruiting both Jordan and Kawhi, and uh, for the first three quarters, Kawhi just did a incredible job defensively. On Jordan Hamilton, who was at the time an exceptional offensive talent, um, and Dominguez just pulled ahead at the end. I think Kawhi kind of ran out of gas, uh, but he was exceptional, and uh, really at the defensive end more than at the offensive end at the time. But but always um, had athleticism, ability to attack the basket. Um, you know, he wasn't a great shooter at that time, but he was a guy who could score going downhill.
3: You know, it's, it's, I always, I've always thought like what you possess and what guys who have done what you, what you do possess is something that uh, I, I think is a great skill, which is the ability to watch a 16 year old, 17 year old kid, or maybe sometimes even 15 year old kid, and project what he would look like in a college basketball game, n- not just in terms of your offense, what his body looks like maybe I see, look, some of it's guessing, I would assume, right? You look at a guy's hands, is he still going to grow? You see the parents, you know, how mature is he? Is he going to put on weight? Is he not going to put on weight? But it's, you know, what you're doing is you're projecting, um, in watching Jordan and Kawhi. And I agree, you know, Jordan Hamilton went to Texas and, and played. And, um, uh, obviously his brothers, one played at UConn, one played at UCLA. But when, when you watch them, at that particular time, do you remember? Did you think Kawhi would be a better player than Jordan Hamilton?
0: No, I, um, you know, I think the big thing, to be honest, Jordan still super talented player. I would imagine he's still playing right now. If he's not, uh, he may be playing overseas if he's not in the NBA. But, but uh, you know, he's a little bit of the victim of his own success, success. Yeah, you know, because he, he had so much success, people tell him how great he was a little bit, and maybe allowed him to develop some habits that that actually held him back a little bit. Um, I know he struggled a little bit at Texas, but, uh, you know, Kawhi didn't have all that. You know, he didn't have those accolades. You know, he was a talent, but maybe a hidden talent at the time. And, you know, we can say he was under-recruited. There's other things that, circumstances that go into some of those decisions that people made at that time, people were getting commitments early uh, in the Pac-12 and uh, really the Pac-10 at the time. So people were taking kids, you know, going into their junior year, they were trying to get commitments. And so sometimes, you know, you make mistakes, but so some people stop recruiting those positions because they already had a commitment for a kid and he just kept getting better, you know, and and again, he didn't, he didn't have the fanfare, but I think what he really had was the work ethic to go with the ability. The thing that he had probably the most that stood out the most was his ability to rebound the ball. That, That was, that probably is what, made him such a consistent player, though. You know, I mean, that that tra- that always seems to, to translate every, every level you go up if you're a good rebounder. And he was a guy who could get you 10, 12 rebounds in every game. And I think he just had a, a nose to the ball. I think he's fearless. I think he's tough. Uh, and he plays hard.
3: It's interesting, right? Because I know that some coaches looked at him and like, eh, 6'5", six, 6'6". Six, six. Like, he can rebound in high school, but you can't rebound in college. Because like, at the time... That was when big guys were big guys, and he was though he played inside. He was the he was the the, the size size of a wing. How hard is it to to figure out the translation of rebounding and size in high school versus in in college? I,
0: I still think guys that rebound don't matter what what position they are. If, you know, guards even are really good rebounders. They're going to find a, they just have a knack and a feel for where the ball is coming off of it. But also they're they're anticipating. It's just kind of built into what they do. So I I always found rebounding is probably the number one skill. And, that, and you know, the, it didn't surprise me that San Diego State at the time recruited him because I had, you know, just recently left there, and that was a big thing for us when I was at San Diego State. If you were 3-4-5, you had to be a guy that could get double figure rebounds in a game. And, and so we weren't always a great shooting team, but we could make up for it by getting extra possessions on the glass, things like that. I thought that was something that, that uh, like I said, that he was really good at. You know the the thing that always is interesting. You know, is initially when you're when you're out recruiting and you and you know you have kind of a system that you're recruiting to. Let's say, and uh, you know you you know all right. Well, we need a four man, or we need a we need a five, and they, we want them to look like this size, that size, and then. But in the end of the day, you know, w- once you get your team together, you're going to play the guys who give you the best chance to win, and so you make some adjustments. And and it's funny that he was kind of that tweener, right? He wasn't truly a wing at that point in his career in development, but so he was kind of on the bubble of being a three and a four as all you see. But, you know, when you're on the other side defending those guys too, you're like, who do we, who do we have to guard him? He's too big for a, for a wing and, and he, and he's too quick for a big guy, you know? And so once you, do, when we don't have one of those guys, you're like, why don't we have one of those guys?
3: You know, it's, it's, what's fascinating is you mentioned San Diego state where you had coached, like he checked so many boxes of what San Diego state has feasted on, right? Like uh, a little, a little bit unrecruited either Riverside or Sacramento, like those are kind of two spots where you guys, I thought did a L- LA as well, but Riverside, Sacramento are two spots where you guys did a really good job. They've continued to do a really good job of, of recruiting, right? Tweeners and guys that maybe what they lack on offense, they make up for in, in work ethic and defense and rebounding, right? Like he, 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 he felt like a It feels like a, you're describing a San Diego state player. Um, the, the other side to it though, is that, like, look, I'm sure they knew they were getting a really good player, terrific player, and I know that you badly wanted to take him at Cal. Um, but do you think in any way they knew he would be this?
0: No, and no, and people don't realize too. Even at San Diego State, they, one of the things that really helped was they signed his best friend at the time. Kid that he didn't make uh, grades. I don't think so. Who's that? Not going there, but I can't remember his name. A little guard, really quick um, good player, but just didn't have, uh, he was kind of, you know, on the bubble academically and didn't make it, but that was another factor in them getting involved with him. Uh, no, I don't know that they ever truly do. And you never totally know who's going to be that guy that emerges. Sometimes the kid that you think is going to be, you know, uh, in your recruiting class, you think this one particular kid might turn out to be really, really good. And, and, uh, as it turns out, it, it's someone else that maybe you didn't uh, project a little bit, but, uh, obviously like we said i mean he has some he had some physical ability he had broad shoulders got long arms obviously everyone talks about his hand size so you know he had uh, he had a frame that could fill out as well but i think you know every you're trying to investigate really when you're recruiting like you know how strong is their desire and their will to get better and i think um, that is really what separated Kawhi. you know i mean it, it, it really it's just no different than you know, Kobe, LeBron, and Michael Jordan, you know, some of these guys that really it's not so much that they're that much better of an athlete. It's just their will to prepare or what, they, what motivates them to want to, you know, to play is so different. You know, some of these guys, their whole goal is to make it to the NBA or to get a big contract. And then they take their foot off the gas and, you know, they change. And, and the, the big question a lot of people is how do you handle success? You know, everyone always talks about how you handle failure, but how do you handle success? So for for a lot of these guys, you know, they you know they get money, and now of a sudden, you know, they're not working as hard, or they're interested you go to in other places. But these guys, a guy like Kawhi, you know, he loves to dominate a game. I mean, he loves to work. You know, the work for him is the reward. You know, so that, I think that's that's really where the separating factor. Obviously, he has some incredible ability, but I think there's a lot of guys in the NBA with similar type of ability, but they don't have the mindset that he has that really has separated him and the will and work ethic.
3: what did you think of Harden when he was in high school?
0: You know, it's funny cause James that was on a really talented high school team too. And, uh, um, um, I can't remember the big kid's name. They had, they had a really good big kid.
3: Artesia, and, right. And they had, uh, Derek, uh, Glasser was like his, uh, his, his, yeah. his, uh, personal they, attache, whatever.
0: And they had another wing too, uh, um, who was much higher regarded early on. And, uh, I think, again, again, the thing with James, I think mean, he was a guy that could score. Not a great score, but a good scorer. Not a great athlete. Um, but same thing with him. I mean, he's figured it out. Like, you know, it's just things have – I think he's, he's probably one of those guys that's really put a tremendous amount of time into his game and really fine-tuned it that, you know, the NBA is really – um, this the rules have really helped him too obviously but from an offensive standpoint i don't know there's anybody better at being able to get their own shot anytime they want and make people pay for helping and, i mean but his his ball handling is exceptional you know i mean and his sh- ability to sh- get his shot is exceptional and obviously he's got range
3: Um uh, you can really pa- like, like his... really you can really really pass too he's got good vision yeah. you know Um, And what's interesting about it is, I agree, he's obviously put a ton of time into it. He doesn't appear to be in the greatest of shape at times, which is weird. Like, I don't know if he has a personal uh, kind of limitation in terms of in-game conditioning. Uh, Last last one, Russell Westbrook, his teammate, right? So you had, now, first time you saw Russell was when?
0: You know, uh, Russell was a guy that uh, was kind of under the radar. You know, I think University of San Diego was the only one that had offered him a scholarship going into his senior season and uh you know really the first time i saw him was in a, a tournament in westchester i believe it was and uh going into you know in his senior year people were kind of talking about him and by that time he he's one of those guys that, like if you looked at him physically as uh, going into his senior year and then you looked at him once he got to college you would have thought that someone um literally stole his his identity He's using his name because I mean he physically completely changed, even in his face, completely changed. I mean he just matured incredibly in that time period, you know. And and uh, give Kerry Ke- Keating a lot of credit because he's the one that uh, saw him. And really during that time period when UCLA was really good, they they did a great job of evaluating guys that were in their area that were kind of sleepers. Darren Collison being another one, but but Russell Westbrook. You know his athleticism from the time he was a junior in high school, I think, until then we went we go back and you know when he was playing against us at Cal, uh, his, his
3: sophomore year, year he had that he had, the, he had that the, dunk. The
0: incredible dunk when over Jamal Boykin and I mean he but he just had so many of those kinds of plays. Uh, his athleticism is just uh, he's in the you know, top one percent of athletes. Period. You know, in not just in basketball, but I mean. Incredible, and, and there's only been a couple of guys that I've seen where, like I said, they've changed so much that you wouldn't even know who they were. You know, you wouldn't recognize them physically. And, um, you know, and I and I think he's a hell of a player, but sometimes he does rely on his athleticism a little too much. Uh, but you know, like I said, he was special. Even you know at UCLA, he really didn't play the point. He was really off the ball most of the time, but he was their defensive kind of stopper on a very talented team. I mean, that team went to the to the Final Four, won the league, et cetera. You know, I mean, you got uh, Kevin Love was on that team. Uh, you, you know, Darren Collison. Uh, the, it really, I think there's probably five or six NBA players on the team. I just
3: can't think of them all on the top of my head. But Yeah, they're stacked. Um, totally, totally yep. stacked. Listen, I, I love your perspective. Obviously, you can pop you on some more. Thanks so much for joining us. You got it.
4: Be sure to catch the live edition of the Doug Gottlieb Show weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific, on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app.
3: All right, thanks to my brother Greg. That was awesome. Unbelievable insight. Um, I think the, the Rockets are done. They're just too tired. Same thing for the Nuggets. I'll be interested to see exactly what happens uh, with Milwaukee and the heat. I think the heat the Milwaukee's in big trouble, and I do think the Celtics had the makeup. To kind of reclaim their advantage in this series, maybe it's because I picked it on our website that I liked uh, the Celtics coming out of that series. I still like the Bucks coming out of their series. Lakers and Clippers will match up in the Western Conference. Thanks so much for downloading and listening. Don't forget to rate and review it. I'm Doug Gottlieb, and this is All Ball.
1: Visit livenation.com slash concertweek to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul. Some 41, 30 seconds from Mars. Oh, and two-door cinema club. Hello, it is Ryan and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your